This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, June 25th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Ika Eden found guilty in Norwood homicide. Mountain Village looks to encourage deed restriction. Listening Club gets deja vu and a mountain weather forecast. The final trial in connection with the Norwood double homicide case has come to a close. Ika Eden, a member of a doomsday cult, was found guilty on two counts of reckless child abuse resulting in death on Wednesday, June 23rd. The Montrose Daily Press reports the jury took just 30 minutes to come to a verdict. Ika Eden was on trial for her connection to the deaths of 12-year-old Michaela Roberts and 8-year-old Hannah Marshall. The bodies of the two girls were discovered in a vehicle on a Norwood property in September 2017. Ike Eden was originally deemed unfit to stand trial. The Daily Press notes earlier this year she was deemed fit and represented herself in court. Four other adults were already tried and sentenced in connection to Michaela and Hannah's deaths. The girls' mother, Nashika Bramble, was found guilty on two cases of first-degree murder and received life in prison without parole. Madani Seus, the alleged ringleader of the cult, was sentenced to 64 years. Ashford Nathaniel Archer was sentenced to 24. Frederick Blair accepted a plea deal and is serving 12 years. Ike Eden faces 16 to 48 years in prison for each count. She will be sentenced on July 28th. Mountain Village is taking steps to increase the number of deed-restricted units in the municipality. Last week, Town Council discussed the Your Equity Support, or YES, program. Here's Mountain Village Town Attorney Paul Weiser. It essentially allows the town to purchase a deed restriction on a unit. That deed restriction stays with the property in perpetuity, and uh, the deed restriction provides essentially that you have to be a resident of town, the town of Mountain Village uh, and meet certain work requirements uh, in order to be eligible to live in that particular unit uh, and to move into that unit. Weiser notes that while buying a deed restriction may sound expensive, it would actually cost the town less than building a unit itself. This is a mechanism by which we can reduce that cost, and we are not actually in the construction business. These units are already, uh, in large part, built. Um, And so this is a more efficient way uh, and a cheaper way in order to allow uh, the town to create long-term local housing. If a homeowner chose to deed restrict their home and they were ineligible for deed restriction themselves, they would be prohibited from continuing to live in the home, but could rent it to a member of the community that does qualify. During discussion, three main questions came up. First, should homeowners be eligible to deed restrict a home they already own and live in? Or does YES funding need to be used on a new home purchase or build? From our perspective, I don't think that it necessarily matters when we acquire that deed restriction. The flip side to that is you are not creating a new local residence if you allow current residents to put their units into the program. For Michelle Haynes, Planning and Development Services Director for Mountain Village, preemptively adding a deed restriction is worth the security of the home in the future. If you allow them to participate in the YES program, you know that 
they currently qualify. If they choose to sell it, it won't go to a second homeowner. It will go to somebody who's qualified. And that is, I think, the biggest Mm -hmm. value because then you know someone will live there or it'll be rented to somebody who will live there. It won't sit vacant or go on the short-term rental market in the future. But several council members shared concerns about spending YES funds on homes that already have full-time residents, questioning if it's the best use of the money. Wiser notes the town isn't required to approve applications for deed restriction and could look at each application on a case-by-case basis. In the end, council showed support for allowing deed restriction on homes with current residents, with the ability to review each application. Second, can the funding be used for someone to purchase raw land with the intention to build? Without much conversation, council resoundingly supported using YES funds on raw land. Finally, Can YES funds be used on property outside the town of Mountain Village? I think the argument um, for doing so would be that we need to recognize the fact that our our main economic driver, uh, as well as every other business here, certainly does uh, rely on people who currently relies on people who do not live within the town boundaries. And furthermore, uh, our money probably goes further outside of our town boundaries. And so do we want to be able to support uh, all the businesses here by opening up the array of options um, that are available within the county? Weiser says the counter argument is to focus tax dollars within the town and look outside once Mountain Village has exhausted all possibilities within town limits. Weiser adds he doesn't want other communities to see Mountain Village's funding and think those governments don't need to participate in regional housing issues. Councilmember Marty Prohaska notes there's added benefit to specifically supporting those who live in the village. They go and they get a cocktail in April and they are around, you know, because they live here and we're not relying on public transportation or cars and the need for parking when people live in this community. And if they can afford to live in this community, they're gonna spend their dollars in this community. And so I would say that I I understand that we could have our dollars go further outside of our community. But for right now, if if there indeed is, you know, stock available for people to buy that we can help them buy and they can be here, they can not drive their car, they can go out to eat here, they can have their kids ride the gondola to school. That's definitely my preference for now. The rest of council agreed. Mountain Village Town Council unanimously voted to move the YES program forward. There will be an official launch of the program in early July. During the meeting, Town Council also discussed updating community development code language to allow for more duplexes in certain areas of town and to make it easier for homeowners to build accessory dwelling units. This Monday, the Wilkinson Public Library's Listening Club meets once again. It's like a book club, but for albums. KOTO's Matt Hoysh spoke with Tom Nading, co-owner of the Telluride Music Company and leader of the June Club, about his album choice, Deja Vu by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I wasn't really expecting to do, you know, an album like this for the Listening Club. I tried to think about some of the themes that have come up through the discussions thus far. And one that kept coming up was like this concept of like people were picking things that were very personal to them. And then this concept that I kept hearing people talk about week after week was like the Road Trip album. I 
Deja Vu was for me an album that is not only a road trip album, but I probably started listening to this when I was six or seven years old. I had a cassette tape, and my family took a lot of you know road trips during the summer in the South, and I remember being in a Volvo station wagon with my parents and my brother and a golden retriever, and uh, you know putting this cassette tape in the tape deck and like singing along when I had no idea what the words meant, had no idea who Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young were. This was just like my equivalent of Baby Beluga or Baby Shark or whatever it is the kids listen these days. The sky is clearing and the night is Side A is just like heavy hitters. And what's interesting is it opens with a Stephen Stills song, which is a mainstay of his live show. The next song, Teach Your Children, is one that maybe doesn't jump out to you. But if you listen to it closely, there's an incredible steel part played by Jerry Garcia, totally random. And then you jump right into Almost Cut My Hair, which is one of David Crosby's number one songs that he does live, one of his biggest anthemic songs. And then you have Helpless by Neil Young. And that's all on one side. And then it closes out with a cover of Joni Mitchell, Woodstock, a tune that she wrote. And interestingly enough, this band's second gig ever was Woodstock. One of the things that really sticks out on this album and about this band is their sense of harmony. Usually you have two or three singers singing at once, sometimes all four of them, and they just do these intricate harmonies where they find their own voice on each part. When you listen to this band, I think that that's the first thing that really jumps out. I don't think that they spent a lot of time at the piano saying, hey, you sing this note, you know, you sing this note. I, I honestly think that a lot of this was just how they naturally sang together. So I've been doing some research just so I have some talking points. And so far, the thing that I think is most fascinating about this album is that it was made sort of in a vacuum. Each of the four members went into the studio at different times and worked on it at different times. And, and you know, it's not like they were together really making this as a band. Um, it's kind of more like, you know, they, they did the work that was necessary. So I read an anecdote that David Crosby said about how the first time he heard Helpless was when Neil called him to the studio to sing the harmony parts. And the song, he said, was pretty much done as it is on the record. And he was just blown away. Leave us helpless, helpless, helpless. I don't think I ever really learned to play any of these songs, but I think that music that's with you that's kind of in your head, you know, the songs you can hum to yourself, I think that they have subtle ways of influencing what you're doing, in particular like when you're improvising and you're kind of going you're just trying to create phrasing and melody on the spot. So I think you draw from that influence, just that innate kind of voice that's in you. Just because you have four songwriters and covers, it doesn't get as stale as other albums because of that sense of variety. So because of that, when I'm trying to hammer out some work in the shop, this this record ends up on the turntable a lot.
The June Listening Club will take place on Monday, June 28th from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Wilkinson Public Library. Think global, shop local. A common phrase and easy to do when you live in a community filled with talented and creative artists and makers. This weekend, the Telluride Arts District will hold its Summer Arts Bazaar, featuring local and regional artists. The event will feature everything from jewelry to gourmet food, ceramics to clothing. The Telluride Arts Summer Bazaar will take place Saturday and Sunday, June 26th and 27th, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Transfer Warehouse. Entry into the event is free. Coloradans got the first glimpse of what their new congressional map will look like this week. Following the 2020 census, Colorado gained a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, bringing the state's total number to eight. That means there is some reshuffling to determine which counties go where. In the preliminary map, the new 8th Congressional District would hold Broomfield County and portions of Boulder, Weld, Adams, and Jefferson Counties. Colorado's 3rd Congressional District, which includes San Miguel County, would gain the remainder of Eagle County and add in Summit, Clear Creek, Grand, Park, Teller, Chafee, and Fremont Counties, as well as parts of Boulder County. The 3rd Congressional District will lose Suwatch, Mineral, Conejos, Costilla, Rio Grande, Custer, Huartano, and Pueblo counties, which will all go to District 4. The majority of El Paso County, which holds Colorado Springs, would become its own Congressional District 5. The Bipartisan Joint Independent Redistricting Commission is charged with creating the new map, allocating equal districts based on population and complying with the Voting Rights Act, in addition to taking into consideration community interest, such as agriculture, education, public health, rural and urban, water needs, and transportation issues. The Joint Independent Redistricting Commission will make a trip to Montrose on Friday, July 30th to get feedback on the preliminary map. The public meeting will take place at the Ute Indian Museum in Montrose at 11 a.m. One more dry year could force Colorado River water managers back to the negotiating table to figure out how to conserve water in its biggest reservoirs. A 2019 drought plan is being used now in the river's lowest basin to rein in uses in Arizona, Nevada, and Mexico. Michael Bernardo is with the Bureau of Reclamation, the federal agency that manages dams in the West. He says if conditions don't improve over the next year, a whole new agreement will be necessary. We do hope that this drought um, turns around, but should it continue and if we see a 2022 as dry as 2021, then um, I think attitudes can certainly change. The Colorado River has a supply and demand imbalance, which warming temperatures and prolonged dry conditions have exacerbated. The first ever water shortage declaration is expected later this summer. When we think about climate change, we often imagine hurricanes, forest fires, and other large-scale disruptions to our planet. But it's plants that are often on the front lines. Botanist Trevor Bloom is working to understand how climate change is affecting wildflowers, and consequentially, the birds, butterflies, and bears that rely on them for food. 
in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, KHOL's Emily Cohen has the story. Noting the Latin names of various wildflowers comes second nature for Trevor Bloom. We're in the Blacktail Sage site. You know, Persia tridentata or that antelope bitterbrush is in peak flower. We've got the hooded flocks um, and the longleaf flocks are also flowering. Many of the potentillas are flowering. We've got a white potentilla and a yellow potentilla. KHOL met Bloom at the Blacktail Butte Trailhead, where he's been working with local volunteers, teaching how to take scientific observations of plants. That is, making note of when they leaf out, bloom, and bear fruit. Yeah, I walk really slow. I think botanists walk slower than birders, even. <laughs> we stop and look at everything along the way and notice what's going on with the buds and the flowers. You know, if you come across a species you don't know, take a guidebook out and try to identify it. Drawing on the field notes that the legendary biologist Frank Craig had made on this same trail in the 1970s and 80s, Bloom and his volunteers are comparing the life cycle events of the same species in the same locations today. Round trip is just under two miles. It's like 1.75 miles. And it's flat. It's before you go up in elevation at all. So it's accessible to all ages and most body types. So we've had people from four years old to 89 years old complete the trail. Once collected, Bloom uses the citizen scientist data to better understand how plants are responding to climate change and also to inform when to collect seeds that will be used in restoration projects throughout the region. The onset of flowering for spring wildflowers is on average 17 days earlier now than it was in the 1970s. And that is directly correlated with spring temperatures in March, April, and May having increased and earlier snowmelt timing. The timing of snowmelt in the valley has advanced by about 21 days since the 1970s. And when plants flower earlier or at different times than they did historically, the impact on the wildlife that depend on them can be profound. A classic example is the broad-tailed hummingbird. It's down in Central America, and then it makes its migration to the greater Yellowstone ecosystem when the day length gets longer. But the plants that they depend on, things like scarlet gilia and other wildflowers, are flowering earlier. And what's been found, birds are arriving at the same time, and the flowers have already flowered earlier, um, resulting in reduced nesting success because they're not getting the nectar that they needed, which means that these animals need to adapt to this change in climate. Another example that may hit even closer to home for Jackson Hole locals concerns grizzly bears. Research shows that bear-human conflict is directly correlated with how good a berry season is, especially in late summer and early fall, when bears need to fill up before going into hibernation. When species flower earlier, they also fruit earlier, meaning that bears might have to seek alternative sources of food in the fall. And that's when the most conflict with humans happens. The Wyoming Wildflower Watch is one of dozens of citizen science projects around the country. So all the data that we collect here in Teton County goes into an app called Nature's Notebook. And Nature's Notebook then gets uploaded to a cloud database that's managed by the USA National Phenological Network. And there are these phenology hikes all over the country, but we're really the only ones centered in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Whether it's curiosity about wildflowers or concerned about climate change, there are all sorts of reasons volunteers have signed up as citizen scientists with the Wildflower Watch. KHOL met Noah Osnos at the first hike of the season, on a windy day in June. He says that for him, citizen science is a way to slow down a bit, 
and smell the proverbial flowers. Most of us just walk around looking at the pavement or going to a restaurant or something like that. And you come out here and what is happening on the ground. So that's really why we came out was really to sort of just get a better idea of what's actually physically happening on the ground. Even while we're living our busy lives, Osno says there's plenty going on in nature that we should be paying attention to. I'm Emily Cohen for listener-supported KHOL Jackson. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight, with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 40 degrees. Saturday, showers and thunderstorms are likely, with partly sunny skies and a high in the mid-60s. Saturday night, there is a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms with partly cloudy skies and a low around 40. Sunday, expect showers and thunderstorms with partly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. Winds could gust as high as 20 miles per hour. The high is near 70 with a low in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Friday, June 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Greetings, Telluride family. It's Ross the Stevie. Did you know that this Sunday at the Telluride Transfer Station, Niceness is doing their CD release party for Realize, their sophomore record? We're all really excited, calling out to everyone today to help the foundation member of 8750 and Niceness, Basie. He's facing some very expensive surgical procedures coming up this summer and we are rallying around Basie. We have a wonderful silent auction, massive prospect out to Jumpin' Jan, with all kinds of amazing items from crucial restaurants like BIT, Cocina de Luz, Oak Street, The National, and Brown Dog. Crucial items from Between the Covers, Jagged Edge Mountain Gear, Tayride Outfitters, festival tickets from the Ride Fest, Jazz Fest, Blues and Brews, and even passes to Orvis Hot Springs. And the special date night package from the new Sheridan Hotel. And many, many more. It's a massive effort to rally round Basie. So I'm inviting all of you to come to the Telluride Transfer Station this Sunday and rally round Basie, celebrate, realize, and most importantly, dance and give thanks to the positive reggae music. Once again, this Sunday, all roads lead to the Telluride Transfer Station. Showtime, 6 to 10 p.m. for the Niceness CD release party and Rally Round Basie silent auction. Come and be part of the goodness of this wonderful community. I love you all. Rasa Stevie says, big up, big up, big up, big up. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.